Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at crossriver.com crypto. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block, and we are at Bitcoin 2022 with the Amun team and 21 shares. We'll get into the differences betwixt the twain. Ophelia and Haney, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is the inaugural podcast at the conference, and you were kind of, we were kind of going back and forth about how it's very much long overdue. So thanks for taking the time. What's the energy like? What's What type of conversations have you guys been having here about the company and, and beyond? I think everyone is just very, very excited to see people, see people in person. It's a, it's a new thing. We've had a long two years without a lot of these kinds of events. So it's honestly quite nice seeing everyone um, in person. I mean, we've only met just the once, right? Yeah, right. We right were talking before. about this yesterday, that, you know, the industry kind of went, went into hiding at the beginning of COVID the way we all did, got stuck in our homes, kind of came back out, and suddenly it's a wildly different landscape mm. than the one we left two years ago. Mm. It's such a good point. I was talking about this with um, folks at this non-crypto conference I went to a few weeks ago in, in Boca, and in 2019, there were probably like four attendees out of this a thousand person conference that were crypto this year it was 50 50 probably and all of the platinum sponsors were were crypto uh companies and it caught people by surprise especially from the non-crypto world but if you think about it to your point Ophelia, it kind of was growing growing behind the scenes and then it seems like it came out of nowhere but it's just because we weren't attending these types of things it's one of the things I love most about this industry, actually. Like, people are so into the work they're doing, so creative. We've built so much in the last two years that everyone is now kind of shocked, but it's really that time lapse. You guys are at 30 products now. We have 30 yeah. products. We also, it's, it's strange because from our perspective, we were sort of 
under a rock building for two years, but also we went from about 30 million of AUM to about 3 billion of AUM during Corona. And so did the industry as well, right? The industry rose with us. And that's been very, very nice to see and, and finally celebrate with people in person. Mm -hmm. um, 30 products, we just launched our 30th ETP. Dozens more are coming. We're planning on really ramping up um, a lot of new product releases on both the ETF and the token front this year with both 21 shares and a moon. Uh, our 30th ETP, just to illustrate how deep we get into crypto now, our 29th and 30th ETPs are a Decentraland ETP and a Sandbox ETP. And so now uh, the world's first, obviously, uh, and now you have the ability to invest as easily in the metaverse just through an ETF wrapper. So for folks who may not know the terminology or lingo, this is an exchange traded product. C can you guys explain to me the difference between an ETP and an ETF? No one's ever been successfully able to <laughs> break down. They're the same, but they're not they the same. Is are. it just a Europe thing? It's just a it's Europe just a thing. Europe. Why don't they call it an e ETF? There's a quirk of European regulations that causes certain types of products to be structured this way. Gold funds in Europe, silver funds, platinum, commodities broadly, anything single asset is going to be an ETP in Europe as a category. You can't have a single asset as an ETF in Europe. So the gold there is an exchange traded product. If it's just Got gold. It. So just Bitcoin, just Solana but synonymous with ETFs in, in America, because obviously uh, in America you can do a gold ETF on a single asset. And we Just have, a European thing. Yeah, and in the US we have two structures that we call ETFs. One of them is very similar to the European ETFs. So do you have a, I know that you're trying to set up some form of presence here with the ARC ETF filing. Yeah. yeah. Is, is there any other aspect of the business that, that operates here? Not yet, but we're working on it, and we'll have more American products to announce soon. The ETF filings are, are public, so people see that. There's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. We've been ramping up our U.S. sales team, our U.S. product team, uh, out of our office in New York, and, and we should, within a month or so, start releasing a few American products. The ETF seems so, like it's a Herculean task. If I was an asset manager, I'm not smart enough to be one, but if I were smart enough and then I was an asset manager, I would be like, what's the point? Don't know if the regulator is going to approve it. There's 50 other people trying to do it. Why kind of throw my hat in a very crowded race? Obviously, with a partner like Kathy Wood, that, that definitely gets you closer to the, to the finish line, but it still seems so daunting. I think there's a lot to unpack here. It is daunting, but we've never been closer. A very good barometer of the likelihood of uh, an American Bitcoin ETF uh, being approved in the short term is the discounter premium of GBTC, because it, it functions as intimate on the likelihood in the next 6, 12, 18 months of something happening. And so you could argue that the discount uh, that's been pervasive over the last year is part of people thinking that it could happen and it could happen soon. We're working on it. Um, we're working on it. We're having very good conversations in, in the background with regulators. We feel that they're getting there and we are very comforted that, that it's going to happen. Why we would want to do this is, frankly, we built the first 
ETP globally. And so if you're talking about a physically backed Bitcoin ETF, we have the world's oldest, longest running. We have the greatest experience in running physically backed listed crypto products uh, because our ABTC ETP back in 2019 was the world's first physically backed crypto exchange traded product. So we know what we're doing. Um, we've been doing it very well, which is why today by both AUM and number of products, we are the world's largest issuer of crypto exchange traded products by far. The next closest competitors in terms of the product suite or in terms of the AUM are, are all lagging internationally. And we have every intention of bringing every one of our products in token and in ETF format uh, to every country around the globe. And we've announced some major geographic expansions outside of Europe. It goes back to your earlier point. So th some of these will be classified as ETFs, actually, because of the local regulations and the non-European quirk. But we, we will list soon the Middle East's first Bitcoin and Ethereum ETFs, um, physically backed crypto you know, exchange-traded products. And we are uh, soon listing Australia's first Bitcoin and Ethereum ETFs. Got it. So we have experience in geographic expansions. We've been doing it for far longer. And we would love to bring that to the American audience that so clearly wants this. The key thing with the experience piece is that we've seen these products through their life cycle. Forks, hash wars, on-chain issues, changes in the way like custodial infrastructure works, like the guts of what makes blockchains work and how you get blockchains to work with traditional securities infrastructure, it's not always linear, but it's something we've been doing for years. And it puts us in a unique position, also when you're asking about regulators, to actually have those conversations. They want to know what happens once you actually do this. We're in the unique position to be able to contribute that viewpoint to this conversation and actually progress on that side. They want to not just know what would happen, but in our case, we can then show data of, well, in this fork and that fork, here's how we dealt with it and how it was seamless. How are you setting up a sales presence or a evangelist evangelization effort to convince or unlock the FA pipelines? The what pipelines? Financial advisor. Yeah. We have a dedicated sales team that, that covers all of America that's been ramping up for the last couple of months. We've hired an exceptional head of sales from BlackRock who's been busy building out the team. A lot of it is education. You, you have to remember that as an organization, we're a very research-led organization. Just part of our easy meshing with, with Kathy Wood, who's obviously a partner on the ETF side, but also our independent board director and an angel advisor, a friend uh, of the firm. And ARC stands for Active Research Knowledge, and it's mm -hmm. how they were able to bring disruptive technologies and educate people properly on Tesla makes sense to people, but all the uh, advanced biotech that they're doing does not. And we've taken the same thing because we think that crypto is equally, if not more complex. It's certainly much faster in development. It's, mm. uh, there's a lot of updates. And so what we've been doing from the very beginning is exceptional research, like equity level research that could pass an institutional investors investment committee, so an IC meeting, as well as just educating people, retail and institutional, on all sorts of crypto aspects. 
including every single asset that we track. And so if you want to get into the weeds on how Decentraland works versus Sandbox, we have research in six languages to cover just that. And so it's more of the same. We're having very educational meetings. We're building up a lot of these, and especially on the institutional side, where there are people now that we've been meeting with for two or three years uh, that are finally dipping their toes in uh, much more. A lot of that is about building, right? So the way we approach education with, with financial advisors and the way we approach engaging institutions in the space is basically we'll go as far down the rabbit hole as you want to. You want to learn what a blockchain is? We're happy to meet you there and teach you what a blockchain is and you know help you come to terms with just the basics. We're also happy to have a discussion around you know comparative analysis between sand and man. And we can follow you through that entire journey and then obviously into our tokenized products as well so that no matter where you are on that learning curve or wherever you are on that spectrum, we can, we can help and help you progress in that way. Um, and it's been something that financial advisors have really engaged with. No picture tweeting without approval. I have to make that clear. So what about the funds tied to the metaverse? Where, where is the interest coming from? This is an amazing development of just the last couple of years. We have seen, so most of our funds, 80, 85% of the AUM is institutional investors. And we have seen family offices over the past couple of years start with our Bitcoin ETP and end up owning our Solana ecosystem token that's in a Solana format in your phantom wallet. Mm. And we've seen them go from the Bitcoin ETP to perhaps Ethereum and Index, getting deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. And again, we're supporting you all every step of the way, both with products and research and education. And we've had now several family offices that have a bunch of our ETFs and ETPs as well as our tokens which is uh, pretty interesting. And so I think few people are investing, uh, I would say, uh, from the beginning in some of the more esoteric assets, but it would surprise you how many are willing to go down the rabbit hole and at least uh, dip their toes in, right? These are smaller products, obviously, than the Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, products, but we see people uh, investing a little bit testing it, learning more about it, and then deploying a lot more capital. One thing I don't understand is at the if you get them to the point of getting a token tied to one of these assets, why don't they just buy the token? You're thinking of the single assets. Yeah. The tokens, think about the tokens in two formats. One, indexes, and two, products that are impossible to do in an ETF format, of which there are several. The tokens that we've released so far would be very, very, very difficult to do in an ETF format. The regulators wouldn't approve them because there are various parts of them that may be too small or too nascent, but clearly people want exposure to them. And so as an example, we have a Solana ecosystem token, solely that you're able to purchase on amun.com, A-M-U-N.com, uh, and throw in your phantom wallet. And it's a basket that's comprised of a little bit of Solana, but then mostly all of the top projects and protocols and innovations that's happening on top of Solana. And we do the same thing for Polygon. We're, doing, mm. we're going to release a lot more there. And so that's the kind of product that uh, 
First of all, these are Phantom and MetaMask wallet owners, so they're fairly more sophisticated. But this is the kind of products that we would sell to them versus the vanilla Bitcoin ETP that could be the entrance to someone for uh, to be introduced to the crypto space, but isn't as in the weeds as someone who's crypto native, able to go to Amoon.com and, and connect their Phantom or MetaMask and, and buy our tokens. Got it. So w- what's the... Um how big is that business? Brand new business, less than six months, uh, millions in uh, AUM versus billions in, in 21 shares. And how do you um, monetize that? Right now, we're not monetizing it at all. At some point, we'll probably have a yearly fee of some sort. We're also going to come out with a lot of yield generating, income generating products mm. on both the token and the ETF side. So it's possible as well that we'll have some tokens and ETPs that monetize in slightly different ways than just the base, the management fee. Maybe a profit share, maybe something with a threshold. We'll be creative there and and we'll start launching very soon a lot of income generating, yield generating products. That's pretty cool. So how did you get Kathy Wood on your board? I met Kathy several years ago at a conference. Uh, we happened to sit down next to each other for lunch and got to talking actually about research. It goes back to what we were discussing a few minutes ago and how you know, making sure that people are well-informed and feel confident in the investment decisions they're making and how critical that is to how you build interesting and solid companies. There was a lot of alignment, a lot of interest in technology and a lot of interest in these types of themes. And we kept in touch, and she was an you know, informal advisor to the company for several years. And then eventually joined our board. So I spoke with her once um, in 2017 at a Deutsche Bank like internal meeting of sorts. I don't know what you would call it, like a forum, an internal company forum. And it was the most ridiculous juxtaposition because I had no idea what I was talking about, and she's brilliant (laughs) and there was a press release or some sort of release that went out externally on the chat and it was it was me and her being interviewed as equals it was like utterly ridiculous and then someone at Deutsche Bank moderating and the media release really grasped that that chasm of knowledge because you had this beautiful quote of her waxing poetic about the nuance of of the technology and it was like, you know, this big, a block quote. And then Business Insider's Frank Chaparro, a lot of people coming in. You know, just like a <laughs> lot, lot of Bitcoin's growing. It's, it's crypto's bigger than it was. It was something like so trite and, and uh, frankly asinine. I actually haven't spoken to her since that. You should, you should catch up. Yeah. To- <laughs> probably like this guy. Why? What is going on? How do I short Deutsche Bank after this? But um, yeah, she's pretty great. She's been she's been truly wonderful, and we are very uh, aligned on a lot of both values and philosophy, which is, I th- would argue, precisely what you'd want in a board director. Or Has an she advisor. ever pushed back on anything? Is she like, no? Of this course, is- yes. yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, I mean, we're we're on the same team, but very good board directors do push back. It's part of their job and it's part of what they bring to the table. Has she ever tried to acquire you? No. 
But it's been very clear from the very beginning that we have no interest whatsoever in that. So what about NFTs? How do they fit into uh, your, your plans? Oh, we love NFTs. They're hard to put in an ETF format for a variety of reasons. Um, they're hard to fractionalize. They're hard to make repetitive by design, right? So if you have, if you're, you know, an investor in a really cool set of NFTs and someone wants to put another million dollars in it, we have to dilute your ownership in the other ones by the design of the structure of the products. And it sort of doesn't line up quite right. There have been traditional world some attempts at it, but it's been quite mixed. Like art funds, wine funds, that same like lack of fungibility and it, results are mixed on whether or not they actually work for people because of that dynamic. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling in rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. So what about um, what Bitwise is doing? That's kind of interesting. They've created some sort of index. Super interesting. And we're, we're big fans of Bitwise. We know the founding team very, very well. We're also partners with them. Their European ETPs are run off of our platform, and so we power Bitwise's European ETPs. It's a private fund for Bitwise, which means it's not liquid on a daily basis. Once you have something listed on the public markets, the liquidity requirements is very high. The bar is very high for that, because you need to, on a daily basis, be able to, like Ophelia was saying, invest an additional million, take out a million. And how do you do that with something that's a little bit illiquid? Bit and with much larger numbers And with much larger numbers than a million. Because theoretically, you should be able to sell the entire AUM out in a day or 
double or triple it in a day as well. And what Bitwise does that, that gets around that is it's, it's structured like a private fund, which is a wonderful way of accessing it for accredited investors, but it's just not that accessible to the rest of the world. You guys don't have any private funds. Not no. yet, but yeah. like I was saying, 80-85% of our AUM is institutional. Mm. Uh, and so we will build more institutional geared uh, products this year, but um, nothing so far. And it's possible that we can do something that's NFT related only for the institutional crowd, but in an ETF format, it's really difficult at the current moment to fractionalize NFTs. Also, I'd say indexes more broadly are going to be a bigger theme this year. Why do you say that? The, the market is evolving in a really interesting way. The conversations we used to have a, you know, a year or two years ago about will crypto exist at all is a conversation we very rarely have now. Not never, but rarely. Is Bitcoin going to zero this year is no longer a continuing, ongoing narrative. That changes things. It means that people are starting to look at crypto as an asset class, as an industry, as a theme. They're starting to parse that theme. So is it a, is it a smart contracts platform? Is it currency? Is it you know, a utility token, is it metaverse, is it DeFi? People are starting to actually engage with those, the nuances. So it's not, it's not even just, is Bitcoin going to exist? It's now, okay, well, crypto is definitely going to exist. So what is the S&P 500 crypto? Within that, are you doing like tech stocks and therefore, you know, i.e. DeFi thematically? Are you doing other things? And that conversation is shifting. And so as you see that base level of knowledge we were talking about grow and people actually understand it. And a lot of the doubts around viability are starting to become less. You have more space for things like broader indices and more diversified investments. And if you think about our product suite, the first product we ever brought to market was an index product in, in Europe. And while at the time, arguably the world was most definitely not ready for that, that is changing. I mean, it, it has like half a billion dollars well, in it or something. Now. Okay, but like, the world is very much ready for this it is product. Now, but come on. Three, <laughs> but yes. When we launched it, no. No, it took a while. <laughs> it took a while. Yeah. But we'll do a lot more indexes and a lot more themes this year. What about, I, I know there's some legal complexities around, um, you, you can't just go out and create an S&P token because then the, the folks at S&P Global will probably sue you, but... How, could you do something similar where you create a um, like a stock index token of sorts since you're already kind of doing it for crypto if you had like some sort of license or maybe only offered it in you know more gregarious jurisdictions we're going to come out with products that are somewhat close to what you're imagining and you're going to be excited later this year when we tell you more about them. <laughs> but I have just yeah, been told that I'm not supposed to say anything more. <laughs> I, witness, I witness you being told that in real time. That was, inter that was interesting. That's not the roles we play in the company. Yeah. I want to tell you first. It was kind of strange. It was almost like you, you supplanted thoughts into his mind. Like via... We've been working together for a long time. And uh... how did you first um, meet? 
<laughs> we sort of went to school together. So Ophelia went to Stanford, I went to Columbia, but I dropped out Those of Columbia. Those are different schools. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is where the sort of in this This is the sort of. Um, I dropped out of school pretty early, and I moved to live with people that I knew that were going to Stanford at the time. And we were all the same age. So I sort of went to Stanford socially, even though my degree in the end says Columbia on it. And so, and so we went people, to... You did finish. He, you did. Uh, seven years later, but yes. Oh, wow. He finished around the same time we started the company. Is that how you met Dudas? I met Dudas in SF. Oh, okay. But he went to Stanford. But uh, earlier. 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 Much earlier. The friend group that he's talking about were my friends from my freshman dorm. So we're class of yeah, 2013. Yeah, you guys are younger than Dudas for sure, yeah. yeah. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, class of, class of 2013, and so we're the same age, and uh, we socially Almost. went to school together. Yeah. She's a little younger. She likes that. Uh, Almost went to school together, and, and we've known each other for way too long. Way too long. When was the most recent fundraise? Are you guys <laughs> doing that as well? We we haven't announced any recent fundraise, but you would be the first to know once we do. Wow, yeah, I've heard. Wow, you're already doing my job for me. So that's <laughs> pretty. <laughs> that's um. But we've obviously we've obviously grown quite a bit. We've gone from, like I was I was saying, about thirty million to about three billion in AUM, about fifteen people to one hundred and fifty people. We're a profitable company. We're very quickly growing. We're capturing something like 70% of the inflows in the markets that we're in on the ETP side. We invented this market. We're the biggest player in this market, and we intend to spread our product across the world. So as you can imagine, um, things have been good. And as soon as we are uh, wanting to <laughs> share it with the world, we, you'll be the first to know. How, how do flows, how are flows impacted by, by market dynamics? Do they give us a sense of, of the robustness of, of a market in a given time? Yes. Have you seen flows also start to kind of uh, decouple from each other? So sometimes you'll have Solana yes. flows increasing and maybe Ethereum flows decreasing. I think there are two really interesting things to learn from flow data. One is, yes, the, there are different seasons and, and different products have, you know, you'll see more interest. Um, Solana being one of our products that grew very rapidly last year, um, as people learn about new chains and as developments in those ecosystems occur. The thing I find most interesting about flow data is it is not highly correlated with price. Mm. And I had a very interesting conversation with one of our lead market makers uh, about a week ago, um, talking about why what, what's going on in this market actually, and what are they seeing on the trading side? And one of the key takeaways is this, the institutions are actually forming thesis-based investment philosophies. So they look at fundamentals, they look at something, they develop a thesis and they invest. And there's a portion of them that are trading volatility and are hedge funds and are doing a lot of turnover, but it's still around a thesis, right? We are long Bitcoin, we are long Solana at this price. And that, that's how they work and how they form their opinions. And so what's interesting is that depending on where you are at in the price cycle, they actually provide a really great stabilizing influence. And these are long-term thesis-driven investments. So you don't see them bulking at corrections and you don't see them necessarily profit-taking in that way because 
they're actually going by this very thesis-driven investment structure. And so you don't see as much of the panic selling as you would expect to see in you know what you might see in other markets. Because really what we see here is a decision from an investment committee or a, a decision maker to invest, say, $50 million in this these three assets at up to a limit price of this. Mm. And so if anything, we've seen examples of uh, it goes down from 32 to 28 and they're buying their dollar cost averaging and they're still because it's more thesis driven. I think this is a fantastic question though because it explains a lot about the kinds of users. We, our first, our first product, uh, the ticker was HODL. So from the very beginning, Mm-hmm. we have been targeting long-term holders. And we target them in a lot of various ways, including the research. The people that are looking to really learn about this aren't the people that are impacted by price, aren't the people that are trading off of it. It's not to say that we don't have traders using our products, but the data shows that our AUM amongst our peers and competitors is by far the stickiest and we see consistent inflows week in, week out, regardless of the price action. And I would argue really strongly that that's because unlike some of our competitors who target specifically high frequency traders or who target specifically uh, trading firms of various types, and you can see sometimes their volumes are a lot crazier than ours because there are algorithms in the back that are trading these. We're not targeting those people. And as a result, we don't see the crazy outflows that our competitors see when the price goes down. And regardless of what the price is, chances are 90 plus percent of days, we see inflows. 90% of days? Yeah. Maybe more, to be Maybe honest. like at least 90%, a lot more. I wonder what the 10% days, those must be crazy stuff going on, on in the like, market. I'd have to check the data, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was closer to 97 or 98% of days. We very rarely see outflows in our products because we target long-term holders and they're in it for the long haul. And, and we'll see outflows sometimes when the price is up as well in terms of like profit taking, but nothing crazy. And we'll see, you know, and a lot of the types of investors that we work with will rotate. So they might be exiting one of our products and entering a different one. Yeah. So we, the flows data, especially on a net basis, when you look at the entire product suite, you really see that thesis-driven approach and you see that stickiness. We, we started the conversation, or at least part of the top of the conversation about the ETF plans and the regulators, if they don't move forward or if they drag their feet, what are the, I I spoke with some folks at different firms, what is the potentiality that people take take, um, legal action? (laughs) I don't think we're planning on going down that route. We have an interest in, and we've been doing this with dozens of regulators around the world, of really entering in through the front door where we are wanted and desired. I personally don't think it needs to go that far. I think it is coming. I think it's inevitable. And I don't think that will be necessary. However, 
you know, you're the reporter and, and, and clearly some of our competitors want to be a lot more aggressive. It's not our style. It's not something that we've thought about. And we've had phenomenally collaborative relationships with regulators all over the world. They seek our input. They have a tremendous amount of respect for people who work in this space. Dozens they, and dozens of meetings, dozens and dozens of hours in meetings with them. They're engaged. They're, they're talking to us. There's a feedback loop. People say productive a lot when talking about this. And I don't know. I think it's a, it's a hard pill to swallow given that first filing was 2013, it's 2022. So but think about it. It's not very productive. <laughs> think about it this way, just to, to, to have very clear examples. We listed our products in Sweden recently. Not sure what the date is. But we've been working on Sweden as long as we've been working on Switzerland, as an example, mm. right? That took a while. We've announced the Middle East. We've been working on that for years and years and years. Same with Australia. Same with a few other uh, countries that we haven't announced quite it yet. It just takes a long time. It takes a very long time, and it's not... Every regulator isn't needing the same thing or wanting the same thing. Yeah. And so they're very unique conversations. We don't mean productive as a euphemism here at no. all. One of the, like, as an example, some of the regulators we work with, their primary problem is clearing, which is essentially the way in which two firms agree to settle a security. Mm -hmm. And they need to figure out a way to fit what they have heard is a high volatility product into that risk framework. So all of their questions are about assessing comparative volatility of Bitcoin against micro cap stocks. And we will spend hours getting them to wrap their head around that. Mm. Once they get their head around that, okay, can you explain to me what the price impact of a fork is? Because if there is a fork, do we need to suspend trading? Is there a mechanism through which to do that? Can they be unexpected? Where do we get a data feed for that? Because by the way, they're used to getting corporate actions all from a single data vendor. They have no idea how to incorporate that information. So we're sitting here thinking, you know, most of the conversation is around should Bitcoin exist and should Bitcoin be purchased by retail? That is a part of the conversation. But a large part of the conversation is all of this ancillary infrastructural mm. things that they're responsible for, ultimately. And the thing I like, candidly, best about the way regulations have worked in Switzerland is that they took crypto very early on and said, OK, look, it kind of looks like this. So we're going to assume our existing regulations are going to apply in these 17 ways. If it's different than these 17, then we talk. And they just said, OK, if, if it's close enough, just go with it. And that's been helpful and it's unblocked a lot of issues for them, but it's hard for a regulator to do that. The Swiss obviously have a reputation as regulators and as a country for being extremely pragmatic. But depending on how your laws are written, you can or can't do that. And so you've got regulators, and when we say productive, it's, it's, not, it's not a euphemism for running around in circles having the same conversation. Every time you have the conversation, you end up in a different place with a need for a different thing. And these are the same people who were they don't live in crypto. That's not their job. They are responsible for everything from like, are we going to trade Chinese securities on the stock exchange? Are we gonna allow Russian gold bars in gold products? Are we, all of this is run by the same people. So how much education goes into those conversations? Every time you talk, you move that conversation forward. It's why it's so critical that, especially crypto native, players continue to engage in this process. 
because we need to move that conversation forward. Mm. But and that's what people mean when they say productive. And if you think about how we started all of this, neither one of us is Swiss, right? Very clearly. <laughs> um, we looked at 27 different jurisdictions around the world, Switzerland being just one of them. And there's a reason they're 27, because we identified the people that we, the, the jurisdictions that we thought were likely to be open to something like this. And a lot of the remaining 26, we already have products listed there. We have products in France and Holland and Sweden, et cetera. Um, we're about to do it in, you know, in the Middle East and Australia. And, and a lot of them, we've been having these conversations for three or four years, a year or two. And again, very different, but from our experience, the regulators are open and they just want to make sure that it's done properly. But unfortunately, the way those structures and those provisions usually play out is it takes a long time. Yeah. The UK is a phenomenal example of this. The UK is a phenomenal example. They have been so anti-crypto. They talked about banning crypto in the country. They banned products like ours from retail. They have created an enormous amount of red tape for a country that is fundamentally fintech friendly until this week. And this week they had essentially a reversal on several major policy points with a comprehensive framework, actual support from the government. I mean, European cryptos, candidly, still figuring out how to deal with that because it came out of, not nowhere, but people have been working on it for a long time and it, it, it's been this major leap forward. And I think that's, in our experience, how regulation works. It's a grindstone. You work, you work, you work, you work, you work, and then things can move. And you can understand, like we, you can understand why we have no interest in suing any regulators. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like it could be fun. Well, thank you guys. Not our style. <laughs> Thanks so much for stopping by the show and chatting with us on The Scoop here at Bitcoin 2022. Where can our listeners learn more about you and, and what you're doing at, at the firm or at the firm's? 21shares.com is the ETF shop out of Europe um, for our global audience. And amun.com is the tokens issue. Perfect. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day, everyone.